of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus says, but who... But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. This is the word of God. I don't know if anyone realises it, but uh, it's actually our second anniversary today. Did you realise realise that? I was uh, I was going to bring a card for you all, but I didn't because I couldn't be bothered. But anyway, isn't it great? It's uh, no, it's uh, it's amazing to think, isn't it? There's been two years been uh, putting up with me, uh, but it's been great. It's been a good two years. Uh, I don't know if. You've seen the book going round at the moment. There's a book uh, doing the rounds titled Jesus Is... Uh, Its popularity has been spurred on uh, by, to even greater heights by uh, Justin Bieber recommending it. Um, I didn't know uh, until Adam told me the other day, but... Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, the task of the book, uh, Jesus is, uh, the author claims, is to introduce Jesus for who he really is. And the idea of the book uh, apparently is to get behind people's preconceived ideas of who Jesus is. Uh, now I haven't read the book, but, uh, but from some of the reviews that have been going around, uh, the question I guess is whether or not the writer has succeeded in doing that, in fully presenting the biblical uh, Jesus. But... Whether you're a Christian or not, it's something that everybody has a view on, isn't it? Jesus is... Almost everybody has a view on that. Who is Jesus? He's nobody, he's somebody, he's a great teacher. There were people in Jesus' day who thought that Jesus was an agent of the devil himself. It's a good question to ask, actually, to sit down with a piece of paper and say, if somebody asked me the question, what what would I answer? Jesus is... What would you write down on a piece of paper if someone asked you that? Who is Jesus? There's a whole range of views, but Jesus' crucial question is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
Not what do other people say, what do other people think, but what do you think? Well, that's what uh, Jesus asks Peter here in this passage. Who do you say that I am? And yet Jesus isn't disinterested in what other people have to say. He actually starts with that question. He starts with the question, what's everybody else saying about me? He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Don't get uh, thrown by Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. Uh, It was the title that he used to refer to himself largely because no one had used it before. Uh, And so he could kind of uh, give it its own meaning. If he called himself the Son of God straight out, he would have been crucified before he had a chance to explain what that meant and who he was and what he was there to do. And so he used this uh, title, the Son of Man. And he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, they reply. You might remember a few weeks ago that Herod thought that. Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Uh, That was a bit of a silly idea because both of them had been ministering at the same time and John had baptised Jesus. I don't know how it would be possible for them both to be the same person. Others say Elijah. Maybe that was because Elijah had done those feeding miracles in the Old Testament and Jesus had just fed four or 5,000 people. Maybe that's why they thought Jesus was Elijah. Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. It's interesting that most people at least thought that Jesus was special. They thought he was John the Baptist or they thought he was Elijah or they thought he was one other of the prophets. Everybody thought that he was somebody special, someone notable, someone important. Uh, Here's what Josephus, uh, a historian, writing in the decades after Jesus lived, here's what he thought about Jesus. Josephus, Josephus writes that Jesus was a wise man and a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of people who received the truth with pleasure. That's the historian Josephus. Or in the Talmud, the Talmud is a kind of a Jewish commentary on the law and it was written the century after Jesus, so in the second century. This is what they wrote about Jesus. He practised sorcery and enticed and led Israel astray. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that even Jesus' enemies could see that Jesus had done amazing things. He'd done uh, startling deeds. But they disagreed on what that meant. But Jesus says to his disciples, not just what do other people think, but what do you think? Who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter says those amazing words, uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you're blessed because you know this. You're blessed because you know who I am. That wasn't revealed to you by other people, but it was revealed to you by God himself. It must have been God the Father who revealed it to Peter because nobody else could see it. Everybody else was confused about who Jesus was. And so for Peter to know that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, that must have been revealed by the Father himself through the Spirit of God. And the knowledge that Peter had, the knowledge of who Jesus is, is so central and so decisive and so powerful that Jesus says to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What is the church built on? It's built on the confession of the true identity of Jesus. 
It was built in the first place on Peter's confession. So Peter uh, travelled around the ancient world telling people who Jesus was. It was built upon the confession of the other disciples. The other disciples went around the ancient world (laughs) confessing to people who Jesus was. The church is built upon the Apostle Paul's confession of the true identity of Jesus Christ. It was built upon the confession down through history of Christian people confessing the identity of Jesus. And the church is still built, Jesus is still building his church today on our confession of his true identity. Whether it's in our homes or in our workplaces or in our parks or in our hospitals, or in our media, or in our Facebook pages, whether it's with our children, or with our parents, or with our spouse, or with our friends, or with complete strangers, Jesus is building his church, still building his church today, and he's building it on our confession of Jesus' true identity, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus also says to Peter that 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 confession is so decisive that it both brings people into the kingdom of heaven and it shuts people out. So Jesus says to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That is, by hearing the good news about Jesus, by hearing the good news that Jesus died for sins and responding to that and turning to Jesus, People enter the kingdom of heaven. By hearing the good news and responding to Jesus, people enter the kingdom of heaven. And conversely, when people hear the good news that Jesus died for sins, that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh, when people hear that news and reject that news, people lock themselves out of the kingdom of heaven. They're excluded. They exclude themselves. It's not that Jesus wasn't saying to Peter, that that we lock people out, that we go, you'll never get into heaven. Rather, we say, the kingdom of heaven is open to you if you trust in Jesus and turn from sin. And when people hear that and receive that, heaven is opened. And when they hear that and reject it, Heaven is closed. People lock themselves in and out of the kingdom of heaven. We'll look uh, in more detail in a few weeks when we look at Matthew 18 exactly how that works uh, in the life of the church. But the key point is the mo- at the moment is that the preaching of the gospel is what opens and closes the kingdom of heaven to people. The confession of the true identity of Jesus then is so central that the church is built on it. And the confession of the true identity of Jesus is so decisive that it opens and closes heaven to people. But the confession of the true identity of Jesus is also powerful. Jesus' uh, church, built on the confession of his identity, won't fall. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Hades was uh, the name that people gave in those days to the abode of the dead. Uh, the realm of Satan, the place where, where uh, dead people uh, were. And Jesus says, Satan won't win. Uh, the metaphorical city of God won't fall. Jesus' church won't die. Death won't rule over the church. Death won't rule over God's people. Because Jesus is building his church and he is building his church on Jesus' identity. 
A church built on another foundation, Jesus says, will fall. A church built on a distorted understanding of Jesus will fall. A church built on a Jesus of our own making will fall. A church built on Jesus as the ultimate nice guy will fall. A Jesus made up all of love and with no sense of justice or right or wrong or of wrath, a church built on a Jesus like that will fall. A church built on a a loveless Jesus will fall. A Jesus who's all about wrath and all about vengeance and all about justice but no mercy, with no mercy and no compassion. A church built on that kind of Jesus will fall. A church built on a legalistic Jesus will fall. A Jesus who's all about rules and never about grace. A church built on that kind of Jesus will fall. A church built on any kind of false Jesus will fall. But Jesus' church, built on Jesus' true identity, will never fall and the gates of Hades will never prevail against it. Our church might fall, the branch might fall, our little community here, kind of anticipating the gathering of God's people at the last day, our church might fall, our church might fall as we kind of hang on to the gospel. Our church might be smashed to smithereens as we remain faithful to God. But Jesus' church will never fall. And Jesus' church will be shown to be what it is at the last day. A church from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. A worldwide church. A church throughout all of history. A church built on Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So the church, Jesus' church, stands and falls on the true identity of Jesus Christ. Jesus' identity is central, it's decisive and it's powerful. But Peter says to to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What do those words mean? If it's all about the identity of Jesus, Jesus being the Christ and the Son of the living God, what do those words actually mean? Son of God uh, is a phrase used in the first half of the Bible uh, to... Sorry, we'll just wait. (laughs) It's right. I hate to humiliate people, but it's just just hard for me to keep going. But anyway, actually, have I told you before about my lecturer whose phone went off on on the stage in the middle of the college graduation? Right when the minister was getting to the absolute climax, it was ah, the thing is he ah, he did it all the time. <laughs> it was hopeless. Great lecturer though, great man of God. So the question is, what do those words mean? Christ and Son of God. Uh, so Son of God is a phrase used in the first half of the Bible to 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 talk about God's people. It's used in a number of different ways. The first is that it's used to refer to God's people. So the nation of Israel was called God's son. Uh, they're called God's son because God treated like the son, them like a son. He loved them. Uh, he, he was like the, a father to them. He protected them. Uh, he looked after them. So the nation was called God's son. Uh, but the kings of the nation were also called God's son. So uh, in 2 Samuel 7, 
God says to David about David's son Solomon, I will be his father and he will be my son. The kings were God's son in the sense that they ruled over God's people. God was the king and God's son, the king, ruled over God's people. So in the Old Testament the title son of God is used in a number of different ways. It referred to God's people and to God's king. But when Jesus comes, when Jesus came, he, he filled that title with new meaning. Where God's people in the Old Testament were sinful and disobedient, Jesus is the perfect son. Where God's kings in the Old Testament were sinful and disobedient, Jesus is the perfect king. And the reason he's the perfect son and the reason that he's the perfect king is because he is the son of God not just in name but in reality. He is the son of the living God. He is God himself. He is the eternal son of God. He was with God in the the beginning before anything was. He was. And yet he was also born into our world conceived by the Holy Spirit. After Jesus walked on the water a few chapters earlier, the disciples said to Jesus, truly you are the son of God. And they worshipped him. People like the disciples, Jews like the disciples, wouldn't worship anyone but the one true God. And so to worship Jesus after walking on the water like that is to implicitly understand that Jesus is God come to earth as a man. Fundamental to Christianity is the understanding and the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons don't know Jesus because they deny who he is. They deny his fundamental identity. They say that Jesus is not God. But the disciples, they saw and they knew otherwise. The writers of the New Testament saw and wrote otherwise. They took passages in the Old Testament that, that in the Old Testament referred to God and they used them to refer to Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 1, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. A storm uh, has erupted too in uh, the last few years regarding a pastor. Uh, His uh, name is T.D. Jakes. I don't know if you've come across him. There was an article about him and some of the controversy on the the briefing website the other day. And C.D. Jakes is a a prominent pastor who comes out of a movement called Oneness Pentecostalism. I don't know if you've heard of that movement. But Oneness Pentecostals don't believe that uh, in the Trinity. They don't believe that Jesus, the, the Father and the Holy Spirit are one God but three distinct persons. They basically believe that it's all just the one, the one God, the one person. Now it's hard to know Uh, what T.D. Jakes believes personally and that's part of the controversy. But what is clear is that even though he's moved away from that movement, one is Pentecostalism, uh, even though he's moved away from that to some degree, he's never repudiated their false beliefs and he's never clearly affirmed the Trinity that uh, Jesus is God, the Father is God and the Spirit is God, one God and three distinct persons. I'm not saying that... uh, by the way, I'm not bringing that up to rubbish the man. I don't know him. I don't know clearly what he believes and what he doesn't. I'm simply trying to show that error 
about the identity of Jesus flips around the church. It's all around us uh, all the time. I think one of the great dangers that we face today is that so many of us have been scarred, so many people in the church and in the world for that matter, have been scarred by theological battles and disputes in the church that no one is willing to make a stand on any point of doctrine anymore. People are so afraid of the accusation of divisiveness being thrown at us at the church that we never take a stand on anything. But Jesus and his disciples constantly took stands on truth and error. They said, this is right and that's wrong. They did it firmly but they did it with love. And we need not only to love people but we also need to win people to the truth. Truth matters. The identity of Jesus matters. It matters a great deal because Jesus' church is built on Jesus' true identity. And to get that wrong is to get everything wrong. Peter uh, was commended by Jesus because he got Jesus' identity right. He didn't get everything right, as we'll see in a moment, but he got the basics right. He got the basics right and he was commended for that. Sometimes too, uh, we need to be wary not just of what is said by people but also what's overlooked. So I mentioned uh, that book earlier uh, called Jesus Is and the headings of the chapters in that book uh, are these. Jesus is your friend, Jesus is grace, Jesus is the point, Jesus is happy, Jesus is here and Jesus is alive. Which are all kind of true and helpful observations about the identity of Jesus. But do you notice that the very things that Jesus here says about himself are missing? Nothing is said about Jesus being the Son of God or Jesus being the Christ. I'm not suggesting, uh, again, that the author of that book is less than Christian. I'm just saying that it's possible to say all kinds of right and good things about Jesus without actually getting to the heart of it, without actually knowing who Jesus is really and truly is. And half of Jesus isn't really Jesus at all. So, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King. He is is God himself and God's Son. That's what it means to be the Son of the living God. But what does it mean, lastly, to be that Jesus is the Christ? Uh, It helps to know that the word Christ is a translation of the, uh, a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. Uh, and I think most people would probably have a sense of what Messiah means. You know, it kind of means conqueror, uh, victor, rescuer, something like that. I did a search uh, on the word Messiah on the Sydney Morning Herald website just to see what articles came up. And I got, I got a few. So I got one about Kevin Rudd. This is from a while back, this one. He's not the Messiah, he's a ruddy mess. I think that's after Julia Roxon's comments. Uh, Here's one from Carlton, Chris Judd. Mick, not the Messiah. So Mick, uh, whatever his name is. Uh, Here's one from from, uh, Soccer. He may be the Messiah, but Del Piero be praised. So Del Piero, who played for Sydney FC. Uh, There was an article too about an activist and a restaurateur, uh, which was entitled... The Lentil Messiah, or just a very naughty boy? 
I couldn't quite work out what that article was really about. But anyway, guy who sold lentils. But uh, so, so most people have this kind of sense of what Messiah is, don't they? People use the word all the time. Our newspapers use the word all the time. When, you say, when we say Christ, people think that Christ is referring to Jesus, you know, it's his, his, his last name. But actually it's a title, Jesus the Messiah. That's what it means. Jesus is the Messiah, the Saviour, the Rescuer. What kind of Messiah is Jesus? It also helps to know that Messiah actually in the Old Testament just means anointed. It means to, it means to anoint someone. And the key anointed person in the Old Testament was the high priest. The high priest was that person who appeared once a year in the high place, in the most high place in the temple. He appeared before God to deal with the sins of people. And the high priest was the person who, above all others, had the responsibility for teaching God's people to obey God and to love God with all their heart. In other words, to say that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah is to say that Jesus is the one sent from God to deal with our sins, to deal, to stand before God and to deal with our sins. And it's also to say that Jesus is the one who teaches us to obey God and to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. But what Peter and, the, Peter and the others still didn't understand was that they didn't understand how Jesus was going to go about doing that. And so Jesus tries to explain it. In verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the leaders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus begins to explain it and Peter says, Never, Lord, it's not going to happen. I won't let it happen to you. And Peter, who's just been commended for these amazing words of faith and insight, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus saw that behind Peter's words were the deceit, was the deceit of Satan himself. Satan was trying to obscure and undermine the kind of Messiah that Jesus was revealing himself to be. Jesus was showing himself to be the priest, the high priest, sent from God to deal with the sin by his own death on the cross. How did Jesus deal with sin? He did it by being betrayed, suffering at the hands of humanity, at the hands of political leaders and religious leaders and ordinary people like you and me. He did it by being crucified and then being raised to life by God the Father on the third day. You see, Christianity without a dying and rising Jesus is an empty Christianity. A Christianity without a Jesus who suffers hell on our behalf is an empty Christianity because the judgement of God and the terrors of hell still await us if Jesus hasn't suffered the punishment for us. A Christianity without a Jesus who conquers death is an empty Christianity because what hope is there for the future? What testimony is there that Jesus is who he really said he is without the resurrection to prove it? No, true Christianity hinges on the true identity of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus' church is built on that identity. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ. He is the Messiah who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Messiah who teaches his people and enables his people 
to follow him and to love God. He is the son of the living God, the king who leads leads God's people in love and righteousness. He is the eternal divine son. He was with God in the beginning. He is God and he was born of the Virgin Mary into our world through the Holy Spirit to bring us back to God. Amen. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for who he is and for what he has done. Thank you that he is your perfect son, fully God and fully man. Lord, thank you that you sent him into our world to be our great high priest, to stand before you and to deal with our sins on our behalf, to take the penalty for our sins, to take our death, to take our eternal death upon himself, to release us from slavery to death and to sin. Lord, thank you that he is the king who rules over all the world in righteousness, in truth, in love and in mercy. Lord, thank you that your church is built not on us, not on our great efforts or our poor efforts. Thank you that your church is built not on our inventiveness or our lack of inventiveness. Lord, thank you that your church is built not on our faithfulness or on our unfaithfulness. Lord, thank you that your church is built on the confession of Jesus' true identity, that he is your beloved son, the Messiah, the one who reconciles us to you through his death and his resurrection. Lord, help us to trust that that confession of your son is powerful to build your church and decisive to open and close heaven to those who hear it and receive it or who hear it and reject it. Lord, thank you for your great Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.